0: Welcome to part two of Will You Be The One? I left off last podcast by saying how I felt and had the philosophy many years ago that I could be what this world needs. And I know many of you would say, that's foolish. Yeah, it is. But I'm being sincere and honest and transparent by telling you that that was the groundwork that laid so much. I had this philosophy listening to this song. If you've not heard the song, go back and listen to the last podcast. I play the song and it is called Will You Be The One? And I remember at camp, at different camps I went to, different youth conference, the illustration always being used about D.L. Moody, about at the beginning of his life saying the world has yet to see someone totally surrendered to God. And at the end of his life, saying the world has yet to see someone totally surrendered to God. And that is a very powerful truth, but the way it was misconstrued and mistaken, the way that it is mistaken. It's like it is lost in translation where it comes to be, where many young people hear that message and they say, I can do this. And they say, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I can be the next David. I can be the next anything. I had that philosophy for many years until I realized that any ability that I may or may not have in preaching, any ability I may or may not have to tell a story from behind the pulpit, any ability I may have to exegete the scriptures or to share a truth or any ability I may or may not have to play music and sing music and and give a message in song, any ability I may or may not have to win over a crowd and to be friendly, any ability I may or may not have. That philosophy smacked me upside the head when I realized at my best, I can't, but God can. So if I could break it up for you in different phases, I would like to do so. Phase one, we could call it, will you be the one? We could call it, yes, I can be the one. Phase one of I can be the one was changed very quickly in my life to, I can't be the one, but God can make me the one. And so for the next number of years, I lived under the idea and really pushed wholeheartedly for the idea that I can't be the one, but God can. And, I mean, there's songs, I can't do this, but God can. And they're wonderful songs, but I misunderstood them. And in my misunderstanding of them, my misunderstanding of God can move mountains, God can do wonderful things, my misunderstanding and my interpretation of hearing that was not God is all-powerful, God is wonderful, and He has what He has. I didn't understand it that way. The way I took it as was, I can't do this, but God can do it through me. So, phase two, going from phase one, from will you be the one, I can be the one, to phase two, I can't be the one, but God can make me the one. which sounds a whole lot better, which maybe it is. But then I find myself recently, and I I hope the growth process doesn't stop. I, I don't believe it will. The Holy Spirit is very convicting to me and sometimes wearisome, uh not because i'm a wonderful person if i was a wonderful person and a wonderful christian i wouldn't be so tired uh from fighting i would just say yes and surrender to the lord in so many ways there's so much more that would be different but my flesh and my spirit are always fighting with each other and my understanding changing i would hope it would not stop I hope that this understanding, this growth in understanding, or whatever you want to call it, this phase of growing, and this is just personal with me. I'm not saying if you're not where I am. uh, I, I think that God can use you in far greater in different ways. I think someone can believe that they will be the next Billy Sunday, and God can use that because it's not dependent upon us. God uses fallacy. God can take heresy. God can take false doctrine and use it. 1 Corinthians, God takes false things and uses them for his glory, which leads me to phase three. And this may come across and may sound very depressing, but I, I don't believe I'm depressed. To be honest with you, I didn't realize the oppression and the depression that I put myself under when I had the idea in philosophy that I could be the one. I put my expectations so high and they were constantly shattered. Why? Because I couldn't meet those expectations. I have never had the capability of being the one. And then leading to phase two, even though it would seem less depressive or oppressive, I would have to say that even that mentality of, I can't, but God can. God can do this through me. And so it was still a little bit like, okay, I can't do this, but God can put me in wonderful places. And maybe, maybe that's your end result and God will use you greatly. But I'm just telling you my growth. Believing that even though I can't do it, God can. It puts this stipulation on God. I did. I I put this stipulation on God. I put a stipulation on God saying, God, I can't do this, but you can, so you better. And so I put my expectations so high because I believed that I knew the mind of God. And my expectations were shattered because yes, I can't be the one, Or no, I can't be the one. It's true. Yes, God can make me the one. I believe still God can make anything he wants. But believing that God is going to make you that is very dangerous. So, Going from will you be the one? I'm talking about my transparency, my life. Will you be the one? My philosophy. Yes, I'll be the one. To phase two. I I can't be the one, but God can make me the one. To phase three. I can't be the one. I'm not the one. You say, Well, wait a minute. Aren't we supposed to answer a call? Aren't we supposed to, Ezekiel 22, stand in the gap before? Aren't we supposed to stand in the gap? Aren't we supposed to be that one, that light? And you're saying you shouldn't be that light? I'm not saying we shouldn't. I'm saying I can't. I can't be that one. You say, well, okay, you can't be the one because you have disqualified yourself from being the one? No, that's not what I'm saying. Most of the time when we say I can't be the one, it are referring to a deacon or a pastor and we'll say they've been divorced. They've been remarried. And so they can't be the one because they've disqualified themselves. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying I can't be the one. And I know that many of you are saying that's depressing. Then why keep living? It's like, that's not the question that I have. honestly, there's more liberty and freedom in realizing you can't be the one because you're not the one. What I mean is the ministry of God does not depend upon man. The ministry of God is man, but it doesn't depend on man. I know that many of you are totally disagreeing with that statement. That's fine. I'm sharing my heart. I can't be the one. I am not the one. Why? Because Christ is the one. And to be honest with you, Christ does not need me. God does not need me. It's dangerous to have the philosophy that God needs you. It's dangerous to have the philosophy that God, his ministry, his will, His direction is fully dependent or is dependent at all upon what you can do for him. It's dangerous to have the philosophy that God needs you to do his will. You say, how so? Because as you grow as a Christian, if we want to sum up the Christian growth, it simply is said this way, more of him. Less of us. And the more of him that is in our life, the more we realize we don't even have the capabilities to make him the one. God is the one. Christ is the one. Christ is our David. Understanding that truth is huge. Christ is our deliverer. He's our Savior, and God does not need me to do His will. But I want to say this understanding that truth more and more, I just want to be around Him. Not because I'm a good Christian, but because I'm not. Not because I'm a good person, but because I'm not. Not because I can make a change in this world or quote-unquote make a difference, because I can't. But you know what I can do? I can have a realization that Christ is all. He's better than me. He's better than you. He's all we need. He's all this world needs. Christ isn't looking for Someone to, out of context, stand in the gap. Ezekiel 22, standing in the gap. What does that mean? Read the context. Read the verses. It's talking about a world that God's going to destroy. And God was looking for someone, anybody, that would realize that they were wicked. That's what it means. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It was... I believe wholeheartedly when he found grace, there was a realization of God's grace that he was, he was part of the wicked problem. He was a part of the, the pandemic of sin, the epidemic of sin, whatever you want to call it. He was a part of the problem. But to be honest with you, we are the problem. And we want to point fingers at the world and we say, well, it's them, they're the problem. They just need someone to tell them. If you were to take biblical principles of who God is, this is where I am. This is my understanding. Disagree, that's fine. Agree, disagree. Just write me an email, yell at me, praise. It doesn't matter. Talked to a friend of mine a few years ago, and I'm not going to tell you where he's located or who he is, because it does not matter. He is a friend. And this preacher friend of mine, we were sitting at a Mexican restaurant and we were talking about this very thing, about This scenario, and many would call it a straw man fallacy or whatever you want to call it. And they would say, if somebody in the jungles of Africa wanted to know about God, does God need someone to go tell? Independent Baptist mindset? Absolutely. If no one goes, then they'll perish. But that's not what scripture says. This is where you might disagree with me, and that's okay. I believe strongly in the principle of seek and ye shall find. Many of you, or some of you, may say you don't have the capability of seeking. That's okay, too. But I want to say this where I'm at. I believe that nature, Romans chapter 1, where nature proclaims the glory of God and when someone looks up at nature, I believe that they could say, Who, where did this come from? And they ask that question and God answers. And then they ask another question. And when they have that heart of questioning, not out of rebellion, but questioning to know truth, God answers. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Seek and ye shall find. I believe it says the same thing about seeking and you shall find, that seek me with their whole heart shall find me. It says it a few times in the Old Testament. You seek the Lord with your whole heart. What does that mean? You seek Him. Your whole heart yearns to know the truth. You may not know what you're seeking, but in your questioning, your journey of wanting to find truth, of wanting to find that holy grail of what does this all mean? God answers. Does God use missionaries? Absolutely. Does He use pastors? Absolutely. Does He use people? He does. Does He need to? I would say no. I believe from the principles of who God is in scripture, his character, that God could proclaim his salvation and glory through a small object. He's used many things, many things to pierce someone's heart to seek him. And I believe he does that. Does he need us? No. He wants us. For the life of me, I will never understand why. I'm not the one. I can't be the one. So, very quickly, with all of this talked about, and I hope this has made sense. There's been a lot of thought and prayer that has gone into sharing this with you. Sharing where God has me as of this moment, uh, when it comes to the philosophy, I guess it would be what it is, the philosophy of what we call quote unquote the ministry of service, and um I want to talk about that word standing in the gap it's a phrase standing in the gap. In the I don't think means what you think it means. In the context Ezekiel 22, I sought for a man among them that would stand in the gap, make up the hedge, stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. In the context of Ezekiel 22, we could say, "Will you stand in the gap?" Will you be the one that stands there with that censer that runs between the disease? Will you be like Aaron and Moses as they took that incense and they stood between the dead and the living? When it talks about standing in the gap, making up a hedge, it means a wall of protection. A wall of protection protecting God and being a mediator no, a wall of standing before God and begging and saying, God, please don't destroy. Standing in the gap, does it mean that we stand in the gap and go reach people, that we bring them to Christ? Does it mean that we go and we tell people about the Lord and that's what our way of standing in the gap? No. Are those good things? Yes. Yes. But is that standing in the gap? I don't believe so. Thank you so much for joining this two-part podcast, Restructure Revisited. For those of you that have comments, questions, anything like that, you can reach me at the Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much, and God bless. It's hard to find